gravitate toward what makes you the happiest. Like what you, what do you do for fun? Um, because for me, when I was like relaxing and at home in my apartment doing things for fun, I was on Pinterest looking at pictures of homes and even in college, like, and I didn't even put two and two together that I was interested in it until way later. So I think if you really take the time to focus on what you're doing for fun and what you choose to do in your spare time and why you get gratification from that and why you like it, the answers to those questions will naturally gravitate you toward what you should be doing. Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them, aka a purpose, and all we have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under-the-radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they first discovered their passion, how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately, how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. Today's episode is with interior designer extraordinaire Ariel Oaken. This episode is honestly a long time coming, and I'm just so excited for you guys to listen to the conversation. And funny story is that Ariel and I actually interned together at MTV back in the day. And I just remember her being the coolest, best-dressed person ever, which is why I am not surprised at all at the way her life has unfolded since then. Since our time at MTV, Ariel went on to explore different career paths, everywhere from public affairs to education, before she discovered her true active ingredient, which is interior design. Her aesthetic is absolutely stunning, and she completely built her empire and network from scratch. She literally started by just helping friends when they were moving in with their boyfriends or helping old coworkers with their homes. And once she had a few rooms to showcase her style, she literally just sent a mass email and BCC'd every single person that she knows, letting them know that she was starting this interior design project and the rest is history. She's done major projects like the Goop New York office, she's collaborated with Anthropology, and she recently launched her first ever furniture line in collaboration with Society Social. She's been featured in Elle Decor, Architectural Digest, Vogue, The Wall Street Journal, New York Magazine, and a ton of other amazing outlets. On today's episode, we talk about how the pandemic has affected her interior design business and how she and the team have pivoted to digital packages. We get into her path to discovering her love of interior design, what small tweaks we can make to our homes to make them even cozier during quarantine. We talk about the importance of building your portfolio, even if that means doing jobs for less pay or no pay, and why learning what you don't like to do is just as or more important than learning what you do like to do. So with that, let's get into this week's episode with the incredible Ariel Oaken. I am so excited to be finally interviewing you because this has been a long time coming. Um, But I'm so pumped to finally have you on and get into all the details of what you've been up to these years since we interned together. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks for being on. Yeah, I'm so pumped. So tell us, where are you? How are you hunkering down? And what's what's the situation? Um, I am at my in-laws in Westchester. We have been out of the city for over a month now which is pretty crazy. And we kind of like left in a panic. I brought like three yeah. pairs of leggings. Um, <laughs> like no I know it's crazy. So we've been here for almost two months at this point. Um, with the baby, obviously. Yes. With my daughter um, oh my who yeah. is seven months old. Wow. How has that been? Um, it's wild. It's so crazy. I mean, obviously it's like the most life-changing thing that can happen to you, but, um, she's like so yummy and delicious. Seven months is a really fun age. And obviously she has no idea, but like, how's your stress level with having a baby going through all of this? Like what? I mean, we're really lucky because my in-laws have been helping, you know, Ben and I are working during the day. So my in-laws have been super helpful and, um, are watching her while we're working during the day, which we're 
so grateful for. Um, yeah. So, um, it's been, it's been okay. I mean, I just, I feel grateful that we could come out here. Yeah. And also that like, it sounds like you're both working. Like how has this whole thing affected your business? Like I normally don't start the podcast like this, but obviously like I feel like everyone has to address it. Like I just, for, for interior design specifically, and like, even for my business, like it's affected everyone in some capacity. So I just want to talk to you and like how you pivoted. I mean, it's really interesting because we, so I just launched a furniture line, um, last week. Thank you. And we, thank you so much. We, we chose to push through and, um, launch during, you know, everything going on because, um, society social who I partnered with for the furniture line is a small business and they have a brick and mortar store in, um, Charlotte that they had to shut down. So, you know, this is like their entire spring collection. Um, so there was no option to not launch it. Um, so we did, we kind of just pivoted to make everything digital and we did, um, a press preview on zoom and Roxy, who's the founder of society social set up a room in her house with all the pieces, um, from the collection. I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen a press preview on zoom personally. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. It was really cool to do. It was fun. We, um, I could make my background on Zoom one of the images from the collection, so it looked like I was I was there. Oh. Um, and we had all the press come in, and then everybody was muted while Roxy and I walked through every piece in the collection. And then um, we did the same thing for designers too, because Society Social has a trade program. Um, so we had a press preview and a designer preview on Zoom, and then the House Beautiful article ran last week. So we definitely pivoted. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, we pivoted a ton. Um, you know, we had all these in-person events scheduled for the city and they all just got canceled. Totally. And in terms of your, your actual interior design projects, like when you're working one-on-one yeah. with a client, how has that changed? Well, all of our workrooms are closed. So our upholsterer, our window treatment vendor, um, they're all in New York. So everything is considered a non-essential business and they're shut down. So the progress on all of my stuff is kind of like At a on, on pause. Yeah. Cause nobody can really do anything. Um, but we're still ordering from vendors that are shipping. Um, and we were able to, you know, put all of our design presentations into PDFs and do them over zoom and do screen shares with clients. So like the progress in terms of, um, concepting hasn't halted, but the actual ordering for some vendors that are closed and then also installation is definitely on pause for now. You know, nobody's allowed in anybody's home. That makes sense. Yeah. How have you been doing like motivation wise? Cause I mean, for me, like I, what what I'm stuck doing now is all the stuff about my job that I actually don't like doing. <laughs> and so like, that's what my whole day to day is. So like my, my motivation has been really hard oh, no. to kind of stay there. How have you been navigating that? It's really hard. I mean, I do think that like, there's this monotony of like every single day is like Groundhog's Day and um, kind of trying to get excited about what you're doing when every day feels the same. Um but I just, I keep trying to focus on, I mean, the furniture launch was a big thing for me. So that I really, I, I had invested like, you know, almost a year of work into it. So I was like working on overdrive, trying to get that out. But now that that's kind of like, you know, launched and it's in a good place and we're done with it. I kind of took a few days to just pause and I've definitely been wearing more sweatpants. <laughs> I'm currently talking to you. No bra. Water. Yep, me too. <laughs> Well, I mean, I wonder if this whole like press preview thing is going to change. Like, I feel like it's just so much more efficient and a better use of everyone's time, except for the fact that they can't touch and feel and like sit on your furniture. You know, I know I was thinking about that. I was actually video chatting with my sister last night and she's a lawyer, but we were talking about like, how, how is this going to change? the future of work and what is work going to look like? And are we going to be in an office five days a week or are we going to be in an office three days a week or two days a week? And um, I think a lot of things that people thought couldn't be done remotely are, are being shown that they can be done remotely. So I think it's interesting to see where we're going with everything. If SNL, if SNL 
can be done. I know. Oh my God. It was so funny. I watched the whole thing today. It was obviously like no actual SNL. I know. Like, did it. You know? I know. I was, um, that definitely ties into procrastinating because I watched an entire thing of it, of SNL, (laughs) instead of doing work yesterday. Do you feel like I, I've been struggling with this so much? Like I feel such a level of guilt. Like if I'm not doing something for my clients at all times, or if I'm not like I, I just I normally don't work these many hours on my laptop. I'm I'm in meetings or I'm I'm doing events or whatever. But because like the only thing I have is my laptop to like make it feel like I'm working, yeah. and when I'm not doing it, I feel so much guilt. Well, I think there's definitely something about being home in your pajamas that like you feel like you're less legitimate somehow. Yeah. Um, even though the work that you're doing is the same work you would be doing in your office. Hundred um, percent. If anything, even more. Yeah. I and I and I think because you're working from home, there's no real delineation between when you start and when you stop. So like it's accessible to you at all points in time. And people are also like working at odd hours because they're home and they're taking care of their kids too. So like they're getting in work when their kids asleep or when they're napping or, you know, wherever they can fit it in during the day. So I feel like everybody's just on a weird schedule. And so that makes it feel off kilter. And then you're also like working from bed. So you just kind of feel like the more you put in, the more productive you're going to be. Well, I mean, I hope that this whole thing kind of blows over in the next month. I'm hoping. I really, no. I'm in Miami right now. And I miss New York so damn much. Like, I really, really do. I miss my apartment. I know. Are you like, I'm a designer, and I made it like beautiful. And it's like, ugh, it's it's just like my space, and I'm not there. And yeah. It's just annoying. Are you with your but parents? Where are you? I'm with my parents in Miami. Yeah. And I'm I'm so lucky. Obviously, like the fact that I can even be here yeah. and my family, I'm close with them. So like, it it's honestly a huge win, but at the same time, like it's been a while since I've been in my apartment and it's just, you know, I know I'm like, scared that we like forgot to like turn something off before we, <laughs> 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 like, I like I'm having nightmares in the middle of the night. Like, Oh shit. Did I leave, like, my, fear, my fear is that we left like a fruit or something like a banana out. Or like if we left something like a, like spinach in the fridge, it's really like, I know Ben and I were talking about that, that like the fridge is going to be really scary when we go home. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Anyway, so now I kind of want to get into how I normally start the podcast, (laughs) which is getting into what your background, um, what your, what your childhood was like, your background, your career trajectory. And I want to start off with how you were as a kid. And if you think that like the things that were qualities of you that you remember as a kid, when you were like, light, fun, happy. Like if that, those are things that still translate to what you're doing now. Yeah. If it's part of I now. love that question because it's, it isn't something that I ever really thought about. And it's actually so insightful because when I was younger, I, all I wanted to do was be a fashion designer. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I would carry a sketchbook around and I like loved art. I went to art camp. I went to day camp, not sleepaway camp. I was way too old to sleepaway camp. <laughs> Um, but I did art day camp for years and I like did pottery classes and anything creative, um, was always just sort of where I was gravitating toward. And I also loved to cook and my dad's a great cook. So I would watch him in the kitchen and then I would try to do it myself and make a huge mess. Um, but I was always interested in creative stuff. Um, so it's interesting that I ended up in a creative field. And I actually ended up in design. I didn't end up doing fashion design, but you know, it's very similar. Um, I have two older siblings who are half siblings, but they were out of the house by the time I was growing up. Um, they were in college already. So I was kind of like an only child in the sense that like, you know, I, I was the only kid at home for most of the time. Um, so my mom would always bring like a coloring book and markers and, paints and whatever, like literally everywhere I went. And I think that really fostered a sense of creativity young. So I I, I definitely think it, it, I somehow found my career, um, after a pivot. Were your parents creative? Like aside from bringing you the, um, coloring books and all that stuff, like where, where do you think that you saw it or is it innate? 
Um, both of my parents both have really good eyes. They they dress really well and they care about the way their homes are and, and things like that. Um, my mom is actually an interior designer, but when I was growing up, she kind of did a bit of styling and um, interior design on the side. She, she was the fashion director for Macy's for 10 years. Um, yeah. And then she left when I was in right before I started elementary school, I think. Um, and then she would do like freelance stuff on the side. Um, so yeah, I think both my parents really have an eye and I kind of just grew up with that. I love that question because I really try to have people on the podcast that like I, in my gut instinct, I feel like they really are working in their quote unquote active ingredient. Yeah. And I, what I've seen as a common thread is that they always revert back to that childlike state yeah. when they are working. So I just always like to hear what people were like and, and how it's kind of like integrated in their day to day now. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's, a, it was, I love that question. So you wanted to be a fashion designer. And you went to college, right? Yeah. Like, when we met, you were, you were still in school, I think. Yeah. When we were in, we interned together. Actually, funny story. I remember exactly you had these platform um, sandals from Zara. <laughs> remember those? But they were like yeah. massive. They were like tricolor. They were like three different leathers. It was like one nude, one snake. Yeah. And I never. I got myself those those shoes and didn't wear them once because I just couldn't pull it off like I just couldn't <laughs> <laughs> so you know I got them. that's amazing that makes my day well I'm 410 so I kind of needed the extra height um but yeah <laughs> no, but I remember you being just so like stylish and and I mean I literally oh. copied <laughs> thank you I um I that internship was so fun. I, I loved it really was. I mean, I, I ended up going to school for something completely different than um, design. I, I went to undergrad for journalism, and then I went and got my master's in um, strategic communication with a focus on public affairs. So I, I really wanted to work in either politics or, or public affairs in some way. Um, and when I was interning at MTV, I was working for Jake Urbanski, who was doing public affairs for MTV at the time. Um, so I was working on like pro-social campaigns and the Fulbright scholarship that they do with MTVU. And, um, I loved it. That was like one of my favorite internships ever. Honestly, same. I mean, it's what got me to come back to New York. Yeah. That was my yeah. way into New York and I was like, oh, hell yeah. yeah. I have to figure out a way to come back. Totally. Um, amazing. But I mean, definitely different than what you're doing now. Yeah. So I want to understand when you graduated, what you thought you wanted to do, and then kind of how you found your way to this. Yeah. So I was always interested. I was kind of twofold. I was interested in fashion, but I was also interested in politics, which is so random. Um, like the combination, I feel like. Yeah. So I... Um, oh, very the of you. Yeah. <laughs> I interned everywhere in college, and I think that that really helped me figure out what it was that I wanted to do. So my first internship was at Teen Vogue and Editorial, um, and I loved it. But then I was thinking maybe I wanted to try the PR side of things. So then I went the next summer. I was at Shape. Um, and then the summer after that, I dual interned. That was the summer I worked with you. I was at MTV half the week, and then I was at Prada half the week. And I was doing corporate communications. Oh, right. Yeah, I was doing corporate communications at Prada. I left school a little early the to start a product because it was the year they did the Met Gala, mm. um, which was so fun. I didn't get to go or anything, but I literally just like clipped press clippings together <laughs> in like PowerPoint. Part of the team. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I left school like a week early so that I could start like during that time. And then I was there full time for a month. And then I started splitting that June with MTV. And then I realized that I, out of those two internships, as much as working at Prada was so cool and um, it was like a dream in some sense to be there, I liked the public affairs internship better. Um, yeah. So the following summer, I was splitting again. I was I did corporate communications at Chanel, and then I also, well, I, I started that summer just at Chanel, um, and then 
Scott Stringer, I started reading about the controllers race. This was in 2013 in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Scott Stringer had been running unopposed for controller in New York. And then Elliot Spitzer got into the race and it was supposed to be like his big comeback moment. Um, and I was like, Oh, I really want to help Scott. Like I just believed in everything he was saying. And I, I thought he's, he was so wonderful. So I literally cold called the campaign office and I was like, do you need help? Um, oh my and I ended up being Audrey Gelman's assistant, um, on the campaign. She was his spokeswoman. Oh my God. So this is how the whole wing thing started for you. Yeah. I had so, no idea. Yeah. So I was Audrey's, um, like intern slash assistant. I went, you know, worked with her on that campaign and then I went back and worked for her the following. So that summer was my summer in between my senior year of college and my first year of grad school. Um, and I went to grad school in the city. I went to Columbia um, and I got my master's in strategic communication, but I wanted to focus on public affairs. Like I, my, after that summer working for Audrey, I, I wanted to work in politics. I loved it. Um, so I worked for her that summer. I started my first year of school um, and then that summer after my first year of grad school, I went again to go work for her at SKD Knickerbocker, which is like a public affairs firm in the city. Um, I never heard of it. And I loved it. And then I worked on the Rock the Boat campaign, their 20th anniversary rebranding campaign with her. And I loved that. Um, and I ended up graduating the year after from grad school and I worked in education for a bit, which was kind of still in that public affairs realm. Yep. I, it was so random. I ended up working at a private school on the Upper West Side handling all their communication. So it was still like within the realm of what I had been doing, but like also not at all. Right. Um, and it was such a cute place to be. I mean, it was a wonderful school and it was, it was nursery through eighth grade and it, I think I sort of just hit that like 25. What am I doing with my life? Um, yeah. Um, but it was a great place for me to be. And it also helped me toward design because I had free time in the afternoons. And um, a friend of mine's mom actually was like, Oh, I heard about this company called Home Polish. You should look into it because I had been designing for friends on the side just for fun. Like I wasn't charging them or anything. I was just. Wait, I want to talk about that because I feel like that's what people need to pay attention to. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> when, when did you start doing that and, and what were you designing exactly? Um, so I was still working at the school and people would come over and be like, oh, I love your apartment. Can you help me with mine? Or, you know, I'm moving in with my boyfriend. Can you help us find a few pieces or things like that? And I would just help them for fun. And then I kind of realized, oh, I, I like this a lot and I'm good at it. Um, so I, I shot my apartment um, professionally, which I, I always tell people whenever I have calls with people looking to pivot careers into design, I always say shoot your space because um, then you can create a portfolio for yourself. So, yeah. So I shot my apartment with um, a photographer named Jane Bellis, who's amazing. And um, she's I found her on House. Um, but she's amazing and she shoots for the times and house beautiful. And I didn't know any of that. I just found her on house. <laughs> um, and she was wonderful. Um, she was like so supportive of me. I think I was like 25 when I reached out to her. And, um, she was just so supportive of me starting my own business. And so, I love her. yeah, she was wonderful. Um, no, I was 23. I was 23 when I started doing this. I feel like you've lived like a full life. <laughs> you've done so many jobs. It's crazy. It's it's really crazy. It, I was 23 because Ben and I had just started dating around that time. We met when I was 22. So that's how I like figure out how old I was during something. Um, so yeah, so people would come over and then I shot the apartment and then I started a website. I literally just did it on Squarespace. I taught myself how to use Squarespace and started my own website. Um, and then I sent out a BCC email to like everyone I knew. And I was like, hey, I'm doing this on the side. Um, if anyone's interested in or needs any help with their apartment, um, this is what I'm doing. Um, and I got like three inquiries from like friends of friends who were like moving in with their boyfriend and someone just got a studio. Um, 
So I started doing that and I wasn't even charging people in the beginning. I think I was just like having them pay for the cost of photography. Um, smart. That is so genius. And you were still working, right? I was still working. Yeah. So I did this for two years. Um, I worked for two years building up my portfolio until I could leave and do it full time. I love working at my day job in like completely unrelated field. Yeah. Um, and then I joined Home Polish on the side again because um, my friend's mom had mentioned it to me and I met them over there and they were doing amazing things at the time. They were kind of like democratizing interior design and making it affordable for many more people. And I was totally bought in on the mission and um, Home Polish doesn't exist anymore. But in, at that period of time, it was just such a great place to be. Um, so there was a little, people that don't know what was the, what was the platform like? Um, so it was sort of like, it originally, um, started, the idea was that it would be, I think it was like $50 for 50 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. and then that transformed into packages that were like, I think it was one, one thirty an hour for, um, different packages. And the packages started at five hours and went up to, you know, however many hours, um, were needed. And it, the whole idea behind it was to make interior design affordable and accessible. Um, because it really is an esoteric kind of business and yeah. And the way it's structured yeah, which is also like one of the questions that I ask everyone that comes on for these type of careers that don't have like a clear cut way of pricing yeah. is how to first figure out how to price. And then how did you like, what, what milestones happened that helped you increase your pricing? There was so much um, trial and error with how I figured out how to get to a pricing model that worked for me. And I reiterated it probably four times. In the beginning, when I finally left Home Polish and went out on my own after two years being at Home Polish, um, I was kind of pricing the same way that they were still, which was like an hourly model and a set of packages. So like, you know, you pay a flat fee um, for 10 hours and you pay commission on top of it. Um, and I kind of quickly realized that hourly wasn't really working for me. Um, clients don't really know how many hours go into the work that we do. And they also can't anticipate how many hours will be billed. So it's actually really hard for them to factor in the hours for budgeting. Exactly. Um, so I ended up switching to a flat fee, um, and commission. So we are, one flat design fee, um, and that covers all the design work. And then the commission covers the back end, like purchasing and project management. Did your commission just go higher for this? Um, so I started out at 20%. And over the years, I've been in business now for almost five years. So now we're at 30%, which is more in line with industry standard. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. But it's on net pricing. So I never charge anybody above retail. That's some designers do. And I understand why they do that. Um, But I have found that clients have a really uh, hard time understanding paying above retail. Totally. Well, at what point did you feel like the business was solid enough that you can do it full time? Like what had to be in place for you to pull the trigger and, and really focus on this? Um, well, I needed some big projects. Like I was afraid I didn't want to leave my, you know, I had a full-time job with a salary and health insurance. Like I was really afraid to leave. Um, but I felt like if I had enough projects where I knew that I would have enough coming in for like six months, um, that I could leave. And so I signed these two really big projects. One was, um, a full floor at the four seasons in Tribeca that, was in El Decor a couple months ago um, online, which was really exciting. And then the other one was a gut renovation of a project on Fifth Avenue. Um, and once I signed those, I was like, okay, I think I have enough for the next, you know, four to six months as a cushion that if I leave, I, I'm not taking like the worst risk of all time. Um, Did you have employees? What? Did you have employees? No, it was just me at first. And then, um, a colleague of mine from home polish after everything happened with home polish ended up coming to work with me who literally like runs my business with me. And, um, she like, <laughs> oh do anything without her. She's like my second brain. She's like the left side of my brain. 
Um, I love that. Because I'm a very right-brained person and she's a very left-brained person. And um, I found that a lot of designers really rely on their operations director to keep the ship running and invoicing. Yeah. And, you know, you can't, like the creative side of things is such a different part of your brain than the invoicing and the paperwork and the project management. And um, I heard Bunny Williams once on a, either at a lecture or a podcast say that, to be a really good business owner and a, and a leader, you need to delegate and you need to be okay delegating um, the things that you don't excel at. So for me, that's the numbers and the paperwork. Um, and Laura, who's our operations director, is just like freaky excellent at it. Um, so she came to work with me and then we started to expand. I ended up hiring a junior designer probably two years after I opened um, and now I've been open for about five years. I have Laura, who's the operations director. And then we've got, um, Jen, who's the operations assistant. And then Callan, who is our junior designer. And then we just hired another junior designer, Ellie, um, who I feel so bad because she was in her last semester at Alabama and then like, couldn't even grab, you know, like she's like remotely doing her last semester which is so sad so sad so I, I kind of want to get into and it doesn't have to be like super in detail but I just feel like there's a misconception on what interior design is because a lot of people are like oh I have a really good eye for furniture you know yeah. but it's like no, you need to know how to like Tetris a room and you need to know where things make sense with a window yeah. and like how, how does math play into this whole thing? Cause I feel like that's a huge misconception that like, there's a ton of math that goes into this yeah. and like, how do you, how do you work with people that are doing demolitions? Like, how can you, how, how, how does that work? I guess I have absolutely no idea. I've learned, I mean, I didn't go to school for interior design, so I really have learned so much on the job. Um, and we've done a bunch of guts at this point. And every time I do one, I just learn so much more. Um, and construction from the ground up or guts are like some of my favorite projects because you get to spec everything down to like the hinges on the doors, which is like so fun for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, interior design has a lot of levels. You need to understand people to some degree because in a lot of senses, you become almost like a therapist for the way that someone lives. Um you know, you're creating a space for people to spend all of their time in and it needs to feel like them and, and function the way that they needed to function for the way that they live their lives. So you need to be a good listener. Um, the math aspect of it, I am not good at, <laughs> but that's why we have AutoCAD. I mean, there's so many computer programs that make that part easy now. Um, right. Like I can't hand draft, but um, we do everything on AutoCAD and and, um, but the importance of getting the right measurements and, you know, even if that means you have to go back three times to site just to make sure that everything's right. Um, because there's a level of precision, especially when doing custom pieces that like, if you mess up by a quarter of an inch, it's a problem. Right. Um, so the accuracy is like a huge, uh, piece of, um, all of it really. So, I guess for someone who like really has no idea aside from the fact that they, that they love kind of putting things together, they, they really appreciate a room that is set the right tone. Like if they're really interested in, in exploring more, what would you tell them to do before really putting all their eggs in the interior design basket? Because like you said, there's a ton of different facets to it and it's not just one thing. Like what, what are some things that people can actually look into before committing to, to going down this career path? Well, every time we get, I get a lot of um, pivot calls, like people who are, you know, in finance and they want to become a designer or, um, you know, X, Y, Z, but they, they've graduated already. So for those people, I always tell them, um, you know, take a CAD course so that you have that skill um, because it's really important to be able to do that no matter where you go. And then I always tell people to intern at a firm. And I think that goes across the board, whether you're in college or not in college, like post grad and kind of like trying to pivot. Um, I think if you intern at a firm and get a feel for what this actually entails day to day, you'll know 
pretty quickly whether it's something you want to do or not. And I think that goes for anything. I mean, I think interning is kind of the best way to figure out what you want to do. Like people always said to me when I was interning, which I thought was really good advice, like if you don't like something, that's just as valuable as liking something because then you know one thing that you don't want to do. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's great advice. So I want to talk about your um, level of I, I guess. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but you're so good at it. And you you are the OG grand millennial, which I am obsessed with that trend. And you really kind of pioneered it, which is just so cool. Um, For people that don't know what a grand millennial style is, can you walk us through what it is? And also, like, where do you see interior design moving? And do you think that Corona is going to change anything? is like set to be going in that direction right now? I mean, I think coronavirus is definitely having an impact on the industry. Um, Business of Home is doing such great, and AD Pro, which is the trade Mm -hmm. arm of Architectural Digest, um, they're doing such great coverage on how coronavirus is actually impacting the industry. But I mean, it's so multifaceted how, how deep the impact runs. I mean, workrooms are shut down, fabric vendors can't, um, you know, continue to, make what they're making small artisanal vendors are just completely shut down and can't do anything. So, um, it'll be really interesting to see how it impacts the industry when everybody kind of wakes up from this. I feel like we're all kind of like hibernating for now. I mean, I mean more so in terms of like actual design style, because I, I mean, I have no idea and I'm obviously not an expert in the space at all, but like, assuming that we're all going to be spending a lot more time at home that may like change from a more modern kind of like straight edge um vibe to a cozier homier vibe yeah no, for uh, sure and i think with the grand millennial trend which is so funny emma bazalian who's a friend of mine and a, an editor at house beautiful kind of coined that term um and it's really about people who are kind of our age who are interested in more traditional design um and I think mid-century styles have been so popular for so long. And um, you see that reflected almost trickling down in the market. Like if you look at CB2 or West Elm, like you don't really see many traditional pieces, but you see a lot of mid-century styles. Um, and what I mean by that is like, you know, teak and blonde wood and, you know, sharp edges and things of that nature. Um, and so I think uh, traditional design is just, you know, design is cyclical. It's like fashion in that sense. So I think trends come and go. And I also think, um, during a time when there's so much uncertain and so much kind of unsettling, there's something really nice about that cozy, traditional, um, almost just like wholesome aesthetic. Um, Architectural Digest ran a really great article on why traditional design is coming back. Um, and there were a lot of different theories that they posited, but I think ultimately like it's, it's a combination of, of trends being cyclical. And then also, um, you know, is it a question of people looking for comfort at home in ways that they, you know, couldn't find before? I love that. Where are some places that we can right now, like not do a huge home reno, but like that we can just buy certain pieces that can help make that cozy home vibe aesthetic. Like for anyone that's listening that wants to make their home a sanctuary, but can't hire an interior designer right now, or just like doesn't have the ability to, um, to do a full interior design, where should people be shopping? And what are like a few key pieces that you think really stand out when making a home cozy? Well, I feel like right now is the now I hate saying now more than ever. I feel like everybody is using that term on Instagram and it drives me crazy. But um I know, like unprecedented times. I know. Like if I, if I hear that one more time, I'm gonna die. But um it's like, something else. like <laughs> But it is true in the sense that like to shop small right now makes such a bigger impact than it ever has before. Um so I think if you can to shop from local vendors and, and keep small businesses afloat is really like imperative. Um, House Beautiful ran a really great article a couple of days ago on the 50 best small home stores in the country. And I think it was by state. Um, and I'm trying to really do that when I'm sourcing for clients now and, and not source so much from big box retailers, but, um, 
you know, try to source from smaller antique providers and, and smaller vendors that have small home shops and just to keep everybody in business. I mean, it's, it's a really weird time. So, um, that's the first thing that I would say is try to like look locally, um, in terms of where to shop. And then in terms of what to shop, I would say things that are really easy, um, to add in like pillows and throws and things that add that cozy element in to your space, but also can refresh a space. Um, like accessories are really an easy thing to change a color palette in a room without spending a fortune. Um, furniture is really hard to order right now because not everybody's shipping like white glove delivery. Not everybody's doing it because people come from their home. Are you shipping your line, um, nationally right now? We are. Um, I don't know if they're doing white glove delivery though. I have to ask them that question actually. Um, but the other like pieces that are I think like the coffee table, everything's assembled already. So I would imagine that it would just, most of the pieces can be left at like a front door or something like that and be picked up and placed by the owner. The only thing is like things like sofas, I'm not really sure what people are doing in terms of white glove because you can't, you can't just leave a sofa in front of someone's house. Right, right. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, it's a weird and if you have, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the link to the House Beautiful um, roundup for sure, so people can see where to shop small. Yeah, that but would be great. I'll there, you. Yeah, if there are any other, um, just kind of websites that you go to that are your go tos, um, like this one interior designer. I don't know if you know her. Um, her Instagram is Chic Shit. I don't know if you no, if you heard look her up. Awesome. She did a lot of work with the Hoxton and Soho House and she's just like so sweet. She told me of um this secondhand uh website Kayo. Yeah. And I literally had never heard of it before. I don't know if I was living under a rock if that's like super known, but like <laughs> anything like that that's like super helpful for people to kind of like see and feel like an interior design insider. Yeah. That would be awesome for us to share after. We use a lot of um cherish first dibs and everything but the house, which is um, abbreviated to EBTH because um, we source a ton of antiques and vintage pieces for our projects and I think that also helps support small businesses because all these antique vendors are you know they're not massive right. operations um, totally but Cherish I think gives you the best Cherish and First Dibs give you really great curated sections and shops of um, what's trending in the interior design world and um, color stories and things that you can shop that way. So I love, um, both of those as a resource to make, sort of make you feel like you're part of the industry, even if you're just a fan. Um, and then everything but the house is kind of a little bit more nitty gritty. Like you have to really get into it and like, it's, it's estate sales all over the country. Um, so you can really find some awesome gems on it for really, really great prices, but you have to be patient because it's not curated <laughs> i'm looking at it right now yeah so some cool. good gems on there amazing well that's super helpful okay awesome i love i love any like insider tip like this that makes me feel like i know what i'm doing like yes. kaya was my to me i got a dresser from restoration hardware that like retailed for 3500 for 300 dollars in perfect condition yeah so it's crazy. Like it just, it made me feel so like proud of myself. It's so, and also for more contemporary pieces like that, I would check out APT Deco. Okay. Because you can I'm find a lot of like restoration hardware, West Elm type of stuff on there that people sell in really good condition. Um, Sotheby's Home also is a good resource for that. So I have a question. Um, it's kind of like a, I mean, I, I just relate on like the client relations and like the one-on-one. -on -one, and I love that you've diversified into having this furniture line because I mean, you're just kind of growing your empire in different ways, putting your eggs in different baskets. But um, in terms of scaling that like client one-on-one -on -one project relation, um, can you walk us through like how, how do you know how many projects to take on at a time? And like, aside from the furniture um, side of things, is there any other places that you want to expand um, your vision into? Yeah. I mean, the client question is interesting. I think it's always evolving. Um, 
it's not so much the quantity of clients so much as the volume of the work and the scope of the work. So if we have like, like we have an 8,000 square foot house in New Jersey. So when I was doing that, I couldn't take too much else on at the time unless I expanded and got more team members. Um, So we ended up adding a team member and right now we have 14 active projects. We opened up the firm for e-design when coronavirus started and that was a great new stream of revenue and also a great new way to work with people who we wouldn't have otherwise been able to work with in all different places in the country. Um, How does it work? um, So we have two different ways that we're doing it right now. Um, And this goes back to pricing. You kind of have to like do trial and error a bunch of times to see what works for you. Um, But we're offering two different options for smaller e-design projects. We're offering a flat fee um, and we provide them with, mood boards and links, and then they execute on their own. Um, And then the more in-detailed e-design option would be we provide them with mood boards, and then we also purchase for them. So we handle like the, that white glove aspect of everything. And then if we're handling purchasing, there's commission involved. Um, So that's been really, yeah, that's been really fun. And we got three or four new clients that way. So I found that and really I feel like the price point is obviously lower than you physically going and doing it, right? Yes, exactly. So it's a good way for people to get introduced to interior design for the first time. Um, that's typically like an e-design client is like an an entry point into the world of interior design. Um, so it's been really fun, and we're having uh, we're we're really enjoying it. And a lot of the clients that reached out are from all over. Um, so it's interesting also to be able to work with people who aren't just in New York or, you know, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, whatever. So smart. Yeah, that's been fun. And then in terms of diversifying um, other streams of revenue, we I have a, a wallpaper line coming out in June. How exciting. Yeah, which is crazy. So that comes out with Chasing Paper. Um, and the idea behind that one is also really similar to why I partnered with Society Social, which is... My goal ultimately, and I think it goes back to, you know, me being at Home Polish, but my goal ultimately is to be able to make interior design affordable and more accessible Um, because I think that so much of the industry is kind of custom and in the weeds and, um, you know, trade only that it's nice to be able to work with companies like Society Social, which is where we did the furniture line um, because they let you do um, customer's own material, which is typically a to the trade only option, even if you're not working with a designer. And you can also do things like contrast welt, um, which is like, you know, a different colored piping on a piece of furniture, or you could send in your own fringe or tape for the bottom of a chair. So it's almost like having your own workroom as a consumer. Um, I love that. Yeah, which I think is really interesting. So, so chasing paper is very similar in that sense. They're, um, they retail at $40 a roll. They come in peel and stick, which is great for people who are just experimenting for the first time. And now my collection is going to be the first one where they also offer traditional wallpaper too. Um, Can peel and stick work on uh, a rented apartment? Like, does it come off easy? Yes. So that's why I love it because it's great for, you know, people in our age demographic who aren't, you know, owning a home yet, but they're interested in design and want to make their space feel more like them and they're renting and they don't know what to do. Um, oh my God, I need yeah, so deck <laughs> is great, and um, you can. It's really easy to put up. You can do it yourself. So that's that's in the docket coming up, which is so crazy. smart. Do you like sit down in the beginning of the year or at the end of the year, or whenever, and think about the places that you want to actually create product for? Yes. So every year for the past three or four years, I on January first. <laughs> which is like so nerdy and crazy, but I no, I literally asked because I'm the same. That's I, like, yeah, <laughs> I wrote a list down of like, I, I have two lists. I have one list of like professional things that I want to accomplish. Um, you know, whether that's vendors who I'd like to work with for a collaboration or it's a type of project that I would like to get, or it's an area that I would like to get into or an outlet that I would like to be covered in. I write all of that down, like just a bucket list, a wish list of of what I would like. Um, and I think it helps me one stay accountable because I, I check back every few months and look at what I wrote. Um, and also it helps me kind of visualize what I, what I want and 
and what I want to do. I know it sounds kind of like woo woo, but I'm, I really believe in the power of positive thinking and visualization and, um, in helping you achieve what you want to achieve. And then I also do the same thing for a personal list of just things that I want to do for the year. And I love that. It's so, it's honestly so powerful. And it's also like all of those things are super true, but also communicating it to your teams. So it's not just your thought, you know, like even for like getting, getting covered in a, in a article on a specific outlet, right? Yeah. Like communicating that to your PR team or commun- yeah. like, it's just out there in a way that's actually has next steps. Yeah. And you can true. I think setting goals and being transparent about those goals with everyone on your team at the beginning of the year and then checking in every like three or four months is such a great way to keep everybody on track. Um, Christina and I had a meeting. Christina is my publicist who, who you know, um, yeah. who's the best and she's so good at what she's she does. Um, she's amazing. She used to be at Home Polish. Um, oh my God, you just, you're the new Home Polish. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, uh, Christina and I sat down at the beginning of the year and we just kind of like, you know, said, you know, what are we thinking for the year and where would we like to be and what are the goals? And we talked through it all. And I think it's applicable to any industry, right? Like if you, if you set these really easily actionable goals that are clearly defined and you check in on them every few months, I think it just keeps everybody, um, kind of on it. I have a question on networking because obviously this is something that you need to have like a good pool of people to be able to have projects rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people that may be starting don't have a network to start off on. Mm-hmm. I guess if you just know anyone that could be considered your network, but you've worked with so many amazing celebrities and so many high profile brands. And um, I mean, your portfolio is incredible, but obviously it happened overnight. how did you work on building that network? Um, well, in the beginning, when I sent out that BCC email, it really like went out to every single person that I knew. Um, and I kind of just pooled my resources and thought about who do I know that's moving? Who do I know that's, um, you know, moving with a boyfriend or, um, moving into a studio or anything like that. And I just included everyone because you never really know who knows someone else or, you know, where anybody really is in, in terms of needing help with their space. So, I always tell people um, to start by shooting your space, then get your Squarespace set up, and then send out that BCC email with your website because you really never know where that can lead. And how do you continue to foster that? Like, how have you been landing these huge names? (laughs) Um, Well, Lena came to me through Audrey. Um, Lena Dunham? Yeah, yeah, we did Lena Dunham's apartment in the West Village. um, And she's like, the coolest, most amazing person to work with ever. She was so. That apartment came out so sick. (laughs) Thank you. It was so fun to work on. She was really not afraid of color and not afraid of, uh, pattern. So that was so fun. And she really just kind of like, let me go wild with suggestions and, um, implementing a, a vision. And, um, she was so respectful of the design process in terms of just like letting us run free with what we wanted to do. So that was really fun. Yeah, that came through Audrey. They they are best friends from childhood. So Audrey, we did. I did Audrey's house. So that um, so then she, uh, so that was really nice. And and so so find one influential person in your in your thing. Would you recommend people do a few influential people's homes for free to then be able to grow that? Yeah, I did uh, when we did the group offices. Um, you know, I I think it's worth like the market, you have to think of it as a marketing investment, right? Like you're, you're putting that money into the publicity that you expect to get. Um, yeah. So there were definitely plenty of times that I did that. And I think in the beginning, it's definitely worth doing. And then you get to a point where it doesn't make sense anymore. And, and it's, you either pass on those projects or you, you have to charge something because ultimately you get to a point where you're going to lose money on it. Um, right. So it's finding that balance in terms of like, what is the return on investment that I'm going to get from this publicity? And is it worth the work that I'm going to put into it? Um, especially when you have team members and, and things like that. Amazing advice. Love that. <laughs> uh, 
So, I mean, I want to get into like, what, what would you say is your active ingredient with what you do? I mean, I see it so clearly that you are working in what you love, but I want to hear from you. Like, what is the deeper, the deeper reason on why you love what you do? I just love like creating spaces that people are going to make their memories in. Like, I just feel like it's such a privilege to be able to create residential homes for people that, you know, they're they're raising their children in these homes and their children's memories are going to be of spaces that we designed. Um, so that for me is something that's really special. And I feel like it's just an honor to be able to create homes where people are going to, you know, live their lives. I love that. And the reason I, I really started active ingredient was obviously to talk to people like you and, and, just kind of get an insight into how this whole thing unraveled for people like you and for yourself. But it really was more so for the person who is really stuck or the person that just doesn't even know what the questions are to ask themselves to figure out what that thing is for them. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've definitely found myself at times, like not even knowing who to ask or what to ask myself. And that's really the point of the podcast. So for anyone that would come to you and was like, I love what you're doing. I am interested in doing what you're doing, or I'm just interested in being as passionate about anything as you are about interior design. What advice would you give them to kind of ask themselves the right questions? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was definitely, when I was working um, in a school, I was totally in that place. And I was kind of like, so confused. I had gone to school for public affairs and then I was sort of like tangentially in that world, but I was also doing design on the side and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I was so just not sure of my next career steps. And I, I would say gravitate toward what makes you the happiest. Like what you, what do you do for fun? Um, because for me, when I was like relaxing and at home in my apartment doing things for fun, I was on Pinterest looking at pictures of homes. Um, and even in college, like, and I didn't even put two and two together that I was interested in it until way later. So I think if you really take the time to focus on what you're doing for fun and what you choose to do in your spare time and why you get gratification from that and why you like it, um, the answers to those questions kind of will naturally gravitate you toward what you should be doing. Amazing answer. I love that one. So I always close the podcast asking, what is your literal active ingredient? Meaning like something that you have to drink, do, um, go to experience, whatever, every single day that gets you going. I definitely need coffee every day. Um, and I'm like kind of gross and need coffee mate with my coffee. (laughs) I I completely know is like completely like filled with chemicals, but I just, you know what, whatever. Oh, I need it. I like put coffee meat in a plastic baggie and bring it with me to La Pan. Um, I love it. Yeah. I love coffee meat with my coffee in the morning. So that I need like every day. Um, and then I also try to work out every day. Um, what do you do? If it's just something small, like yoga or, um, Pilates or something like that, I think moving your body and in some way, shape or form on a daily basis is, is kind of something that's on a top two necessities for me. And actually I've never asked this question, but I'm just curious to know from you, what's your favorite room in your home? I love my bedroom. Um, mm-hmm. I just think it's so relaxing and so like calming the bedroom in our apartment is also the biggest room in our apartment, which is so weird and the way that the floor plan is laid out. But, um, it's just like a relaxing escape from the hectic day-to-day of the city, which now that I'm out in the suburbs, I'm like, oh, maybe I want to move. <laughs> Honestly, Sam, I'm like, I'm in Miami and I really love it, but I miss New York. And I'm like, I think I'm going to have to figure out a 50-50 split. Yeah, soon. I know. I'm like, it's definitely really nice to have space, space. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Where can everyone follow you and how can people potentially work with you? Um, so you can find me on Instagram, just at Ariel Oaken, which is my name, um, A-R-I-E-L-O-K-I-N. Um, and my website is also my name, just arielokin.com. And if you're interested in the furniture line, you can go to shopsocietysocial.com. Amazing. Well, this was so much fun. Thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, of course. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. And I like, miss you. I haven't spoken to you in so long. It's so nice. Of I know. We need to see each other in person when this whole thing is done. And I need to meet your daughter. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'll, I'll I, 
I mean, we literally, last time we saw each other, we were actual children. Babies. So. I know. Now, now I have a baby, which is terrifying. Well, stay healthy. Stay good. You too. You Take too. Care yourself. And keep you your back in the city and we'll, we will, um, we'll do something. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you can take two seconds of your time to rate and review us, it would really mean the world and help us out a ton. If you guys want more inspiration and quotes from the episode, you can check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.